you know, one thing I've noticed is sometimes my traumas are not about me. Right. There comes a time when I've lived through something and I wonder, what was that about? Right. And then someone comes on and without even being aware of it, I'm telling their story to them. Right. I said, well, I don't know about you, but I had this experience. And I go, oh my God, how did you, I lived through exactly the same thing. Exactly. And then that person was able to let it go. Yes. And, you know, I would love to address for your readers. You got to accentuate the positive. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just fad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. It's always wonderful to be with you today. I have an extraordinary woman to introduce you to today, Dr. Lynn Morell. Welcome to the show. Oh, it is such a joy to be here all the way from California to you. What a treat. I know you're in California at the moment. When I was speaking to Lynn via email, you're on the other side of the other side of uh, the US, weren't you? Eastern time. Yep. You're in I'm, I'm in East Coast time. I'm kind of back and forth, but mostly East Coast these days. And um, I heard you say on another podcast show that you're involved in a documentary. Maybe we'll get into that a bit later. Absolutely. It's called Trauma and Healing from Emotional Trauma. Ah, beautiful. Let me just tell our listeners a little bit about Dr. Lynn, who you are, what you've been up to while I read your bio. Dr. Lynn Morell is a revolutionary leader in energy and soul work. Her lifelong commitment to learning led her to master's degree in spiritual psychology, applied theology, and a doctorate in the field of spiritual science. She's a longtime student of the martial arts and a former national ranked karate champion. Ha <laughs> Dr. Lynn's new book is called Beyond Lovelyville and is a parable of self-awareness and rising above trauma, which off offers accessible healing tools for all ages. The book Simple Truth guides the reader to deep levels of intuitive knowing and wisdom. It's about the human experience through the eyes of the little creatures that live in Lovelyville. Lovelyville being a little town, I suspect. Oh, it's a pond. Oh, it's a pond. Yes, but they live on the pond. Ah, oh, beautiful. It's a manual for ways to resolve the challenges of being human in an ever-changing world. Beyond Lovelyville is a compilation of all the tools and simple practices Dr. Lynn Morell uses to overcome and transform her life from the inside out. Lynn has overcome childhood traumas, moved past mental health struggles and learned to thrive using simple mental techniques and spiritual practices to rise above adversity every day. I was just saying to Dr. Lynn that I was listening to a podcast show she did recently and, and uh, I discovered more of her story, which I knew nothing about. And, oh, my God, have you been through some <laughs> adversity? Dr. Lynn's been featured in the New York Times, on PBS and the Discovery Channel and numerous other publications. And as I asked before, you're involved in a documentary series. You can find Dr. Lynn at drlynnmorell.com. So where do we start 
it started like when you were a child, you were going through some, you know, as I was listening to your story this morning, uh, so many people come to me and they said, I've been through so much trauma. And I'm like, yeah, that's because you're a light worker. That's because you're a healer. You know, you put yourself through it as a soul. You say, yep, I'm up for that because you want to dive into density in a big way. And I don't think I've had a few people on the show, but uh, that have dived into density as much as you. Where do we start? Do you want to start sharing what, what you went through as a child? Oh my God. Well, once upon a time in a far, far away place, I had a conversation with the karmic board. Right. I said, what do, you want to, what do you want to learn in this lifetime? I said, you know, I really don't understand why humans treat each other so terribly. Right. And I want to go down there and understand the highs and lows of humanity so that I can help them figure out who they are. It's a fairy tale, but it's pretty accurate. And so uh, I sit with the karmic board. I talk to Christ and send, and then they, they give me their blessing. And as I'm going down the birth canal trial, it goes, by the way, you're going to forget all this, which I did. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I like to look at my life as though it's a fairy tale, because I believe all of us are creating this, this saga, this journey to uncovering who we are before we had this face, so to speak. You know, um, as far as I'm concerned, yesterday is past life. I cannot go back there. I cannot undo what was done. What I can do is take what experience I had and use it for me. Now, it wasn't always like that, and it's not easy to do. The good news is I've had a lifetime of trauma. The other news is that I had a lifetime of trauma. And the blessing is that I got busy. At some point, I got tired of being a victim. I got tired of, of attracting negative things to me. And through the martial arts, actually, I learned the discipleship toward getting up one more time than I fall. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really part of being human. We come here to make mistakes. This is the learning planet. And in that process, it's like, how can we learn it so well that we transform what was this ugly thing that we want to forget into this shining jewel that we can then share with the world so they don't have to do it. Mm. And not maybe the way I did it. I didn't do it very gracefully. You know, it's like it started very, very young. And um, I grew up in a milieu of uh, hurt people, you know, not bad people. I don't really believe there are bad people. I believe there are people that do things that are not loving. But if, if I were to look at a soul and if you were to look at a soul in its perfection and you put Mother Teresa next to a mass murderer, their soul would be equally radiant because in spirit, there's no good or bad. There just is experience. Mm. And when I came to that concept, which I embraced as absolute truth, because in my body, I felt it. In the times that I was out of my body, I felt it. And I, being a scientist, I documented things for several years when I started to quote, wake up. I mm -hmm. always had like visions, which really weren't visions. They were real things that were being shown to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was crazy, mm -hmm. you know, and, and people told me, I was, how do you know that? Don't be mm -hmm. ridiculous. And then mm -hmm. it would happen. And so I learned to keep my mouth shut. Yeah. And I became an observer and yeah. I tried to stuff my gifts, but I couldn't. I just couldn't because to not do it made me sick. 
to mm. ignore my trauma made me sick mm. and it made me anger angry and bitter and self-righteous mm. so somebody told me once I, I took this training i actually think i was the mirror for him because we were watching this movie called the matrix and i don't like violence as yeah. part of this workshop Mm. and um blue pill red pill mm. and afterwards i asked him a question he goes you are just one self-righteous angry bitch girl and i was like who the bleep are you talking to you don't know me you spent an hour with me how dare you read my beads i didn't give you permission you know and so i laugh at that now because there was a time when i was because if I wasn't in charge, if I didn't have everything in this little box in the right place, I was out of control. Mm. So I think those of us that embrace the idea of a solo journey, I look at it as a game. I have to be really honest. It's a game down here. Mm -hmm. It's the zoo. It's all happening at the zoo called Earth. Yeah. And it's like When I do that, then when, when the stuff hits the fan, either I turn off the fan, <laughs> Or, or I just, you know, I turn and walk away, but get out of the way, you know, and, and that's the nature of the human experience. Absolutely. I mean, it's hysterical. I had the gorgeous Lois Hollis, uh, who's a guilt, shame educator, she calls herself into our online group, the inner sanctum. And she said something towards the end, which I just loved, you know, in the same vein of life is a game. And we were talking about defending ourselves and she, we were talking about not taking on that shame guilt so that guy that told you that you're a self-righteous be you know be out he was shaming you right he was he was shaming you so and, and the group were asking so how do you not take it on how do you not take it on and she said something hilarious she said uh you just you know if you're in a tennis match you just don't hit back the ball <laughs> you know hit the ball hit the ball you just stop and the ball. you walk away yeah, you walk away. I took what he said. I realized that my consciousness and my awareness was making him feel inadequate. Right. So you know he needed to cut me down. Right. But it didn't work. It just made me more resolute. And mm -hmm. I also looked at where inside of me was I that that he would mirror it to me. Mm -hmm. You know, because everybody's a mirror. I mean, in my world, we're all one. So I'm talking to myself right now. You're talking to yourself right now. You know, and it's like we are all connected with the morphogenetic field. Mm -hmm. and, and like the spider at the center of a web, if something happens at the periphery of our, our experience, our universe, we will know about it. Mm -hmm. We may not know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Because you know, I've, I've received lots of awarenesses I don't necessarily share with people because it's not my place about their future and their past. And I only go where I'm invited. Mm. because there's so many people out there that mean well and they assume that they have the answer to somebody's issue when in fact maybe they need that particular issue to get what they came here to do so right. i call them goody two shoes right you know they assume they know oh my god let's pray for mrs gonzalez mrs gonzalez's lumbago she yeah. doesn't have lumbago yeah you know, she's got whatever she has but if you just say i'd like the light which stands for living in God's holy thoughts in my world. I'd like the light to go to her for the highest good because I don't know it. Right. And I think that I don't know is probably the most powerful thing we can say. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. Okay. So you said that you had a near-death experience when you were a child or something similar. What happened? 
well, I call it a near life experience. Life experience. Um, I've had several. I was wow. roughly uh, five, five or six. I wandered into the cellar where somebody was trying to molest my older sister and I startled him. So he, he chased me and I ran underneath the staircase where the water heater was and tried to hide behind it. And I think he was so scared. He picked me up and shook me by the neck and I was out of my body right. watching it. Right. I also, when I was eight had one, I would call that a near life experience where the Christ held me mm-hmm. and um, basically told me I was here to do something. Yeah. And then literally said, by the way, you're going to forget all this mm. until it's time to remember. So that was roughly, I was in my, I was eight when that happened. I was in my late thirties, early forties when the experience began to surface and ultimately as I let the memories come back in um, the only thing I remembered was the white light. I kept squeezing the light as a little girl into my twenties and thirties. And then I passed out when I was 42 at a retreat an underground stone sauna in Montana or Wyoming. And I heard a heavy door close, but it was my head hitting the stone. And I laid there unconscious for God knows how long. And then I finally got up with a whopping headache. But in that experience, I met what I call the Christ. who said, by the way, you're strong enough now to take back your memories. <gasps> I would have been insane if I had remembered everything. So the grace of God lifted me out of my body, put that stuff in the catacombs of the Vatican, hidden, locked away, until I was on the consciousness of my journey. <clears throat> and... My husband, my second husband died of a plane crash. And I was told, you know, when I married him, he'd leave me in three years. I married him anyway. And he did die just at the three-year mark. And that is what unlocked my 17 years of missing memories, that grief. And so that began the real, what can I call it? The the fast track approach to awareness. And it was very, very tough. So you had a really traumatic childhood, which you, I suppose, unconsciously suppressed and didn't have in your conscious memory, which many of us do. No, I thought I had a happy childhood. You you thought you had a happy childhood, right. And And then you had this experience in your 40s with the Christ and he said, okay, now you're ready. So you'd, you'd moved along on your evolutionary path enough to be able to cope with remembering. Yes. And exactly. then the death of your second husband, the grief really opened that all up. It Can totally... I ask you a question? Sure. Uh, do you think that for all of us in our evolutionary process, we have to remember if we've suppressed the trauma? It's a really good question. I know people that have lived through their whole lives without an inkling of their trauma. Right. And I would say for their soul's purposes, it's not time for them to delve into it. Right. I would say for human beings here who have trauma and some pretty horrific things happen to people, I got to tell you, Mm. but with the willingness to jump in, like with both feet, I think the gifts are so much greater than the bypass. Right. I knew something was off with me. Mm-hmm. I was angry. Mm-hmm. You know, I was um, sad all the time. Mm-hmm. I had constant health issues. 
And if you look at the ACEs experiment of children that are at risk from multiple traumas, I was off the charts. Mm-hmm. And people with a nine, I, I think, um, how many, I forget, I think nine, you know, wherever that is, I don't remember exactly. They're going to live 10 years less than their counterparts, most likely drug, alcohol, addictions, mm-hmm. because they don't, didn't have the skills when they were little to cope with the magnitude of that kind of loss of solid ground in their life with their parents. If one's incarcerated, if one dies, if a sibling dies, if the mom has cancer, they're things that children aren't necessarily equipped to handle, nor adults for that matter. So the resiliency for me came, number one, the martial arts, because I knew nobody was ever gonna lay a hand on me again. And as I do that, my fist, there's a saying, iron fist and velvet gloves. Mm-hmm. So even with my clients, I have an iron fist. I would never hurt anybody with it. But when, I, when I'm addressing their negativity, I put my velvet glove on and we have a real conversation so that if they are willing to dive, they only have to put one toe in, that's a start. And then another toe. And then they find out the joy of who am I in this incredible universe inside of me. Mm -hmm. And there's worlds without end. It's never boring, this search to Mm self-awareness. And so in in my 10 years, it took me 10 years to literally unpack what came up after David died. Mm-hmm. And at one point, and I, and I was diagnosed with Lyme and arthritis and all the things that people get from trauma that's suppressed. But at, at one point, it just became evident that if I didn't do something, I would probably not live very long. Mm-hmm. And the same retreat I went to in Wyoming or Montana, I don't remember, it was gorgeous. There was a nun there. And we did some, some, some work. And she came up to me afterwards and said, you have the potential to, heart, to help a lot of people. But if you don't live and handle your anger, you're going to die too soon. And I really heard her, who, me, angry? I didn't know how angry I was. You know, I was mispeople-pleasing, hypervigilant, victim-in-the-background self. And everybody admired me because I was so strong. I mean, I still am at my age, I can pick up a 50 pound sack of cement. And, you know, it's like, it's not a big deal because I stay active. You know, even vacuuming or washing the floor will make you stay younger. So the more I unpacked my challenges, the more fascinating my life was. You know, I applied to graduate school, the first graduate school, I decided I didn't want to go there, but they asked for a, a timeline of my traumas of your traumas. And it it took an entire page, eight and a half by 11, to get to the first five years. Yeah, I was sick for two weeks when I started to recognize, oh my gosh, who would I be if I faced this? And if I used it not only to help me, but to help others. That was like a real conversation in my head when the barking dog, the negative voices got pushed aside a little bit. And I had more traumas. And, and one of the things is I would tell our listeners is be careful what you ask for. Because after David died, I was 36, I think, when he passed away. And I went to a, to a, a, a group, a prayer group. I don't know what you would call it. I was invited. And they were asking people, if you could have the powers of any of the prophets in the Old Testament, who would you want to be? Whose power did you want? 
And I had never really answered a question like that. And so when it came my turn, I said, I would like to have the wisdom of Solomon. Mm-hmm. Oh, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> because I gained the wisdom of Solomon. And in the gaining of it, I went through those, those like a, a sword being tempered, a samurai sword pounded and pounded. And when I came out the other side, it's not Lynn that actually speaks to people. I would call it the Christed nature of Lynn, who, who breathed me when I didn't want to breathe, who brought people to help me when I was at the end of my ropes. So mm-hmm. that it takes a community for us to truly release and incorporate and, and, and not even take pride, but have a sense of accomplishment that we were the brave ones. You know, it's like Gandalf and and, and um, Frodo in Lord of the Rings. Nobody wants to go to where the evil dude is, right? And yet, this little this little Hobbit says, "I'll go." You know, he was willing to go into the I'll just call it the hell of the unconscious mm. to do good and to be of service. And he fell. We all fall. I have days. Oh my word! I wake up on the wrong side of the bed. The difference now is I have the awareness that it's not me. It's a negative program installed at birth. We're negative and we're positive. Neither is bad. We need a negative polarity to have positive work. We need positive to have negative. Mm -hmm. And this is a planet of polarities. And we are people of polarities. And so when we come into agreement that neither is wrong, and I would much rather keep my eyes on the love and the expansion and the gratitude and the forgiveness and the joy and the laughter then on, oh, woe is me. It's not fair what happened to me. I did a lot of that. Yeah. Especially yeah. when David died, my house burned down. Um, I, I had like, I think i mentioned in that show cause he asked me in 13 months after I said, you know, God, you can have anything that keeps me from full service to you. Not a good prayer. Because starting the very month in December, my daughter decided she needed to live with her dad because he was going to die soon. Her behavior went terrible in the schools. So my second husband decided that she should go spend the rest of the school year with her dad. He did collapse with liver failure. He didn't die. Then four weeks later, my mom perished in a house fire. Then four weeks, six weeks after that, my retreat center, my business and my husband's business burned to the ground. Then we moved several times. And in March of the following year, he died in a plane in an ultralight crash. And then my health went to hell. Then I got field audited by IRS, by by IRS and sued by social security for on quote felony charges is what they threatened me with for a mistake that I reported to them. I won the case. First time the judge ever ruled in the favor of somebody. So that was my 13 months. And then my health was trashed at the end of that time. So what I did was I put an X in my calendar and it was roughly a year from this time that I crashed. And I said, I will see my first client next November. And, and within a week or two, someone called me, some lawyer from some state, I don't remember, saying, I'd like an appointment. I said, I'm sorry, I'm not available till November. They said, I'll take it. And in in that intervening time, I had so much healing in this 10 year cycle, because ultimately it took me 10 years to get my head on straight and to process everything and to use the deep dive 
as a way to clean out whatever kept me from being of service and having wisdom. So I didn't fully grok that, but in retrospect, what a divine plan and what a comedy, what a dramedy. Oh my gosh, I have a story for every situation, but I always tell it so that they get the vibration that if I can do it, they can do it. I don't know what's going on in people. I have a good idea. I can read them really easily, but not unless I have full position for the highest good. Mm. And even if they say yes, if it's from the neck down, it's a no. I said, sorry, we can't go there now. I'd like you to go do this, 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 and this, or go take this course or work with that person. You know, I've been told people will work with me in five years. I don't even know who they are. I just know their name. Sure enough, I get a call. So-and-so referred me to you. Life is such a tapestry. And we're the weavers. We're those that create the dyes. We create the loom. We are the loom. And we weave these incredible stories that lift us and lift others if we would allow it. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. and I mean, I'm about as transparent as they come. Absolutely. Look, you know, life is, is in, life is just, life is amazing. You know, life is so wise. Yeah. Even talking about your business burnt down and, you know, we've been through so much trauma in the last year or so, oh, especially yeah. here in Australia and in California as well with the fires and we had floods and then we had COVID and then we had lockdowns and then we had crazy politicians doing crazy things with <laughs> lockdowns. And I have to say it, it hit other cities more than the city that I'm in. I, I feel blessed to be where I'm living at the moment because other cities in Australia were just, but as you step back and look at, and look at what's occurring. Like last night I watched a, a documentary on Bali. So I was in Bali a few years ago and I was there 40 years ago. And Bali 40 years ago was the most pristine place. Mm-hmm. And then a few years ago, it is so overcrowded. It's fabulous, but it's so polluted, so overcrowded. And my prayer for Bali was, oh, I wish... There wasn't so many people. I wish they could clean up there. I was involved with a group of people who were cleaning up pollution, but it was overwhelming because of the amount of tour. You know, I, I had this prayer. And as I watched this documentary, a year of lockdown, okay, people have lost their jobs, businesses have gone bankrupt, but they've cleaned up all the rubbish in Bali. And I'm like, wow, you know, trauma happens, but good things come out of it. Like, yes, hmm, compost heap. so so much of our lives in the u.s and worldwide is in the compost heap but if you look at it and we also have crazy politicians on both sides we have crazy people we have the polarities the againstness i always say the negative polarity is alive and well and yet that's in service to us waking up fathers are spending time with their children right Families are taking walks together. The street where I live, it's exquisite to see children on bikes with their parents and the dogs, you know, and the baby carriages. And um, there's a new life in Wuhan, one of the most polluted cities in the planet. It cleaned up, you know, pollution. And we're we're mostly viruses and bacteria. So this, this, this scapegoating of bacteria is absolutely absurd. COVID's been around for a long time, but the blessing in all of this ridiculousness of, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Georgia Guidestones, but a, a less populated planet etched in eight languages in Georgia, um, a, a one world order, there would be a population of 500 million. This was done a long time ago in marble. 
And so when I, when I first read it, I thought, that's insane. Yeah. And then if they look at what's going on in our planet, it's some level, it's like we're mimicking the fall of Rome. You know, all the ways things are happening. And I would believe we have an opportunity collectively and individually to take responsibility. I'm upset because doesn't work. Right. I'm upset that works, but I'm upset because it's abdicating all the power that you have to learn from the upset. Right. You know, and you know, responsibility is just the the headline at the moment because as I said to you before we started the recording, you know, I had a client that was had a big story and she was playing the victim and my session with her was trying to get her to see that she was responsible, whether vibrationally speaking, but in some way to claim that responsibility that we, that she had created her experience, but she couldn't go there and she got upset and she asked for a money back <laughs> and she'd been watching my shows for years, which is all about this, which I find hilarious. But globally, we have to take responsibility. It's like, if we don't, if we don't, we crash and burn. Like we have to take responsibility for what we're doing. We're on a trajectory. Yeah. I mean, the, the sperm motility in men is two out of three men have low sperm motility right now. And, you know, the, the electronics and all of that stuff. But even more than that, I love the saying that responsibility is the ability to respond. Mm -hmm. And I would say to respond with loving curiosity and fascination. Right. And, I love that. Loving curiosity and fascination. And, and I got really fascinated about myself and my clients. Yeah. So what's the soul's learning here? How can we, and, and believe me, when I was first going through this stuff, I was, don't tell me that, that I caused it. And yet I had a, a active client following. Many of them left me. They said I, I was Job and I must be cursed and they didn't want anything to do with me. Those people left. I did deeper. Okay, work. okay. I'm just going to back up a bit. I'm not really versed in Bible stuff. So oh, I don't know who Solomon is and I don't know who's Job is. But um... okay. Solomon is a wise king. Right. And, and two mothers are fighting over who the baby belongs to. And so they're standing in front of them and they both say, it's my baby. And one of the women, uh, he says, okay, give me my sword. And he starts to cut the baby in half. And the mother said, no, 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 let her have him. And he put his sword down and said, ah, oh, this is the real mother. Because the other one goes, kill it. So that's Solomon. He's the wisdom. Okay. Job in the, in the Bible is, um, he's a very righteous, wonderful human being with a great family and money and everything. And the devil has a bet with God. I bet you I can corrupt him. Okay. So he loses his health, his family, his animals, everything. But he held steady. And so he was blessed because of his, his loyalty to doing the right thing. And that was following whatever his divine source was. Uh -huh. I like to talk about God as the thing that breathes us. Mm -hmm. Because I work with all, all, all um, faith traditions. You know, I can work with everybody except agnostics because they don't want to and they're in their no. I love a good, uh, I mean, uh, atheist. I love a good agnostic because they're checking it out. Yeah. It, it, in the lines of curiosity and fascination, when I got fascinated, how come I felt like a black cloud follow me? How come my mother's house burned down, my house burned down? My, my house, when I was married to my first husband, got hit by lightning. 
and it okay. caught on fire. And you've also survived three husbands, right? Yeah, I'm on number four. Yeah, but when you say you're on number four, you're still married? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. My, my first husband, I divorced when he became bipolar and very violent. But I said survived, not, yeah, you survived I've, him. Even I've though he hasn't, he hasn't died, you survived him, yeah. And then yeah. two husbands died. They did die. But, you know, to me, death is a funny word because my experience that I had for real was I closed my eyes here and I was there. Right. And there was so much more helpful than here. Yeah. So for years, I tried to close my eyes to recreate a situation that it wasn't time for me to recreate. So in some ways, like the people that follow your show, they're getting the intellectual information. But for whatever reason, they're at that level for a reason. Mm. You know, you're, you're not the right person for them because mm. you go deep. And there's many people that are not the right people for me because I go really deep. So there's levels of consciousness. You wouldn't Absolutely. put a kindergartner in an advanced mathematics unless Absolutely. they're a genius. Absolutely. So well, I've the learned- listeners, I always say the listeners that listen to my show are the new world teachers, you know, whether they're um, doing it in an active way or not, they're still teaching uh, through the way they live their lives. You know, the difference makers, the light weavers, whatever you want. to. There are many people on the planet who are seekers, and they're watching a lot of shows um, because they're seeking information. But then there are people that are taking the information and they're running with it. They're doing stuff with it. They're changing their life. You know, like a teacher doesn't necessarily mean that you're teaching somebody else. When you change your life, you change other people's lives. Yes. So that's what I, I call my listeners. But, but I want to go back to something that you said. You said that when all these traumas started happening to you as an adult, you had clients that were leaving you because they thought that you were cursed. Yep. Is that what you said? Because I had so many, like this run of every six weeks, uh-huh. not all of them, but some of them literally said, I can't work with you anymore because I'm afraid you're going to bring bad energy to me. So they sort of saw the traumas happening in your life as if you were a bad person and you were attracting bad things. Is yes. that what they saw? Yeah, isn't that I, interesting? Is That's so interesting. That's how we think, isn't it? Instead of seeing someone that's brave enough, courageous enough, to explore density, to explore trauma in all its facets. Like rather than saying, ooh, what trauma are you exploring today, Lynn? (laughs) It's like, oh, you're cursed. I have to run from you. And it was their own stuff, actually, because how how people see me is a reflection of their fear. Right. And and there was a time that I thought I I was not light. I thought I was evil. Because so much stuff had happened to me. Right. And um, an interesting way how I turned it around. I had some clients that I adored. And my goal is to get people self-sufficient. So if I light a candle like them, they light. So we're exponentially bringing joy and peace and one accord where we can disagree agreeably and not kill each other because we have a different opinion. Right. But that's the polarity on this planet, the duality. But it, it... when I when um, when David died in the plane crash, I really hit a low because the memories were coming up. And uh, one of my clients called me and invited me to her place. I got there. She had candles. She actually interestingly had black candles because one of her friends was you know uh, dabbling in the white arts and and how to you know, counter the so-called dark arts. Mm-hmm. I didn't know much about that at that point. But um, she she said to me, 
I'm going to ask you to call so-and-so, which was someone who did similar work to me. And I want you to be brave enough to look at what's really going on. I said, okay. And I knew this woman had a six to a nine month wait. So I figured I was going to be fine. She picked up the phone and she said, oh yeah, uh, this is what happened. And when she said it, it was what I knew, but I had never shared with anybody. Okay, I'm confused. So one of your so clients I, I, asked you to call another therapist. Another seer, you know, somebody who could speak seer, to another seer. Another seer. And she picked she, up the phone with a six-month wait list. She so picked she up the, and she saw you. Like, so she picked it up straight yeah. away. You know? And she saw and, me. And she started telling you what she was seeing. Yep, exactly. And some of my trauma happened in a cellar. And she said to me, you need to walk downstairs into the cellar and find out what really happened. Okay. And that was tough. So this and is during did. the grief period after David died right and when the memories David were died. returning and she was helping the memories return. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And so she said to me, we need to go find the soul painter who's in Philadelphia. Uh-huh. And so we went on this goose chase all day looking for the soul painter. Nobody heard of him. And finally, I said, Garland's a letter. It's this exquisite bookstore. And we, we called or we went there and it was like, oh, yes, yeah, so-and-so. She moved to Trenton. And they gave me a name, a last name for this lady. Because do you know this that's like kind of vague, right? So I call her up, tell her, are you the lady that does soul paintings? I'm convinced they're going to see that I'm a horrible person. And so... Um, she says, how much it charges? Oh, that's a bit much. She goes, I'll just come over. She opens the door. Her mouth drops open. Her eyes are as wide as saucers. And she goes, you're the woman. I'm thinking, oh God, what is she going to tell me? <laughs> you're the woman that healed my hand 10 years ago. Oh. I was in an Alan Cohen Course in Miracles retreat. This woman crossed out a massage. I said, oh, are you short on funds? I'd be glad to work on you. So we went into the room. She lay down and I took her hand. She never got a massage. I just held her thumb and she sobbed that she was a painter and could no longer paint. Uh-huh. And all I just did was ask for grace. I said, I'd like this woman to have grace, whatever she needs. 10 years later, I don't remember who she is. She remembers me. She takes me in. My friend is with me and she starts drawing in chalks and she's go, oh, oh my. And I'm thinking, oh God, I'm gonna know for sure now. Oh my, oh my. And then she's just, and, and I'm getting more and more freaked out because the negative barking dogs in my head are saying, see, we're going to show you how bad you are. Right. And, and then she turns it around and she says, I've only one other time in all my years of drawing souls seen this. And there's a perfect gold cross through me, wow. right down through the center and across. And I was surrounded by angels. And the thing she wrote was on wings of love. that's my turnaround serendipity god's grace i was willing to dive into the traumas and in that instant most of it just dissolved i wasn't evil i wasn't bad i wasn't being punished i was somebody trying to discover how wisdom could heal people mostly myself yeah And so that was my turnaround. You know, what I love about this story, Lynn, is that you were still available and working with people, even though you were dealing with your own pain. Because I see so many, you know, and I'm 
coaching so many young healers and I've got one at the moment who's just magnificent but she has this idea like many people like the Instagram generation they have an idea that in order to be of service you have to have a perfect life you have to be beautiful you have to be rich and successful you have to be happy all the time you know you've got to have the lover and the house and the lifestyle you know in order to be this mentor in other people's lives you have to be perfect and what I'm hearing is that our imperfections are our gift to others yes oh you put that so well i mean when when david died and i got sick i was living off of quarters in my gallon you know apple cider jug you know? <laughs> and and it's like i'd go to the local farm stand i lived in farm country 25 cents would buy me a whole bunch of veggies back then and and then again serendipity i call serendipity my best friend because when I have a need, I'll just say, I need someone to bring me X, Y, and Z. And it invariably shows up, you know, in the most exquisite ways, because I'm willing to partner with whatever breathes me. Right. Dramatic God, but God is not this dude on a chair. God is generator of dimensions. I read that 30 or 40 years ago. God is generator of dimensions. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's a tweetable moment, as Oprah would say. I don't know who said it, but I read it and I said, oh, yes. But also on the fun side, spell God backwards and what do you have? Dog, you know, you know how I was telling you about my client. We were talking before we press the recording, we were swapping stories about clients. And I said, oh, I have this client that's just been so delicious to work with. So she started speaking to the higher self of her dog. And I said, okay, you've got to write a, you've got to write a blog. You've got to call it the wisdom of my dog. And I said, spell dog backwards. And she goes, <laughs> the wisdom of my heart, the wisdom of my dog. I know. I know. And isn't it exquisite that dogs love unconditionally? Absolutely. And then what, a, what a magnificent creature to be our companion. Well, we're not aware enough to be a companion to ourself. Yeah. Life is such a hoot, isn't it? Life is such a hoot. You know, we had a lot of her and I had a lot of conversations about dogs and it's, it's a lot of it is in the blog. Um, but we were saying, you know, like I was saying that my brother who's sort of so uh, fixed and has not dealt with any of his trauma, uh, getting married softened him a little, having children softened him a little, but getting a dog just <laughs> cracked open his heart. <laughs> You know, like the dog, the dog did it. It's not that he's completely there now, but, you know, when I see him with the dog, he's just in that place of love and and compassion and where he's not normally. So it's the dog's. There's hope. It's, it's, it's all the dog's fault. It's all the dog's fault, the wisdom of the dog. Anyway, where, where, where were we in your story? So the, oh, no, the golden the cross. experience, the golden cross. I, I did take some time off. I went back to grad school and I did that for me, not necessarily to get a degree. I mean, I did undergraduate. I was such an overachiever. <laughs> I worked full time. I went to school full time. My junior year, they put me in grad school. I wrote my own curriculum. You know, I did all that. And because I was a workaholic, I needed to keep things at bay. I didn't drink and I didn't smoke and I didn't do drugs, but I did karate where I would do it until I was exhausted, which was grit, which is not grace. When we do things to grit, like I need to get this done, that's the, the negative polarity. 
when we say, okay, what do I need now? Oh, I need to go take a walk. Mm -hmm. I need to go play the piano a little bit. I need to sing at the top of my lungs. And I take a break and then I'm energized because the, the flow, the life force through us, you know, you can squander it by not being curious. Like, why is it that I always get backaches when so-and-so comes to visit? Well, there's a clue there. Yeah. <laughs> what is it about so-and-so that you don't feel supported? And, and if we got curious about each organ, each vertebrae, you know, why when we smell blue cheese, we want to throw up? Isn't that a fascinating detective novel? Mm. So like I am a detective when I was young, I read Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys, you know, Cherry Ames. So I wanted to be all of those things, goody two-shoe, you know, take care of people and be a detective. And actually that's really what I am. I help people solve the mysteries that are locked up inside of them in manageable, easy bite-sized pieces without having to re-traumatize them and drive it further into their unconscious. Mm, mm. And I do it with an algorithm. I use math. The, the, this, the body understands mathematics. Mm. So they'll count out their trauma. And I'll have people count from one to a hundred or one to a thousand, depending on what they're dealing with. And I'll say to them, you're gonna be counting numbers. If you start to yawn, congratulations. Your unconscious is yielding its treasures. If you feel like you're gonna throw up, great job. You know, and, and then it'll get really heavy. And then by the time they're done counting, I say, how do you feel? It's gone. The thing is gone. And it's gone for good. And that's, that's the gift of my living through all that trauma. Mm -hmm. To discover a way, no way works for everybody. Because yeah. our soul journey is different. Yeah. There are those that are stuck with conditions for life. Mm -hmm. Like look at Christopher Reeves. Right. Superman, top of the world. Right. Look at the good he did. You know, it's like our traumas can be used to make wonderful topsoil for people that are planting themselves to grow themselves up into spiritual awareness. I think so. It's absolutely. Oh, I, I love Christopher Reeves' story because uh, I think it's my generation when he was the Superman and I was probably his age at that time. But, um, yeah, like he had this desire to heal the spine and he knew it could be possible, but he didn't do it before he left his body. But we don't understand from this linear mind perspective that life is not one life. Life is all lives. So what he didn't achieve in this life, he'll achieve in the next. And uh, he'll come back and, you know, he'll find the cure to the spinal injury or sure. yeah and, and i met a young man at the evolutionary business council who was on track to be a professional football player uh -huh. and he was in an accident and he was remembered basically from the neck down right he said he'd never walk he'd never talk you might have met him incredible human being when i met him he walked using his upper body strength to bring his legs with him mm -hmm. incredible human being you know, there, there's no pity in him. My nephew was burned over 65% of his body when he was 12. Wow. You know, they were camping in a chicken coop. The, his heating, you know, the, the candle dripped wax. I don't know how it started, but, but he was burn, burned in his sleeping bag. Mm -hmm. So his face was disfigured. And um, he had like, I think, oh my God, he was in the Shriners Hospital for three years. And he's, he, is, he lost his fingers up to the, the middle knuckle, lost wow. his thumb on one hand. He is now a professional drummer. 
Wow. He's the Pied Piper. He's the most extraordinary. Now, now he's 50, but he, he writes music for movies. He plays abroad with his band and he found a way so that he could hold drumsticks. Mm, mm. Talk about not giving up. He had to deal with disfigurement. He's, he's with the most extraordinary human being now. Mm-hmm. Now he can play drums like nobody else I've ever heard. He was on the cover of Drummer Magazine. Wow. And, and in one of the photos, he was sitting in a ring of fire with his drums in the middle in a white suit. Incredible. Incredible human being. And it took him a long time. Now he goes and he gives back to people that have been disfigured. Yeah. He has a good life. Very, very doing very well for himself. Yeah. You know, and um, that's, that's an in your face trauma. Yeah, certainly. You know, I started to understand this uh, when I was reading and I can't remember what it was, but I was reading a book and it was talking about someone who'd had a past life regression and in that past life, they were a young girl that had fallen off a cart and was run over and she'd lost the use of her legs. And then she was talking to her soul in this past life regression. And I was saying, why did you do that? And I said, well, in that lifetime, I wanted to develop my intellect and my brain. And so I chose to have this, to be crippled in that lifetime because I was really active and I loved to dance. And um, had I had my legs, I would have been all consumed with physical activity and not focused my mind and my intellect. She said in that lifetime, she became a writer and an intellect. And, and so she achieved what she achieved because of the trauma, exactly. because that was the desire of the soul. And I had a friend uh, going back to being judged for your traumas who was born thalidomide, you know, thalidomide affected. Remember in the 60s? Yeah, a lot of people in the 50s. Yeah, she was one of my best friends, is, still is, just because she's left her body. <laughs> so she had no thumbs and she had some deformities and she had a lot of internal deformities. But, um, you know, she had people that said to her, you must have been evil in a past life to be born oh. formed. You know, like she had this crap going on. And re- in reality, this brave, advanced soul had chosen to come into a family that was completely consumed with beauty and looking good and being, you know, beautiful, successful. And she came in as this deformed baby to teach them about compassion and love and understanding. And, and she died at 40, but, you know, left her body at 40. So these traumas that we choose are so beneficial in so many ways that we can't always see when we're inside the trauma. Yeah. And you know, one thing I've noticed is sometimes my traumas are not about me. Right. There comes a time when I've lived through something and I wonder, what was that about? Right. And then someone comes on and without even being aware of it, I'm telling their story to them. I said, well, I don't know about you, but I had this experience. And I go, oh, my God, how did you? I lived through exactly the same thing. And then that person was able to let it go. And, you know, I would love to address for your readers because they're on this awareness path is that one of the keys that I've learned is to pay attention on multiple levels of consciousness, not enough for the physical, the physical, the emotional, the mental, and then all the other levels in between and the places in between the levels in between. And um, so I don't know where I was going with this, but it was someplace interesting. Um, you'd love to, you'd love to say something to our listeners I, I know. to pay attention. Oh, to pay attention <laughs> because when we pay attention, 
most of us are not in our bodies most of the time. It's hard being in your body on planet Earth. But if you can be in your body, you can pay attention to little symbols, little nudges, call so-and-so, you know? And so I, I used to do a lot of speaking with national speakers and all that grown-up stuff. Uh, you know, I was not, I was, I was definitely not of the same consciousness as them, but I made some nice friends. So I, I had given a speech and I had two people at that, it was the same speech actually. I don't know what I said. I never know what I'm gonna say. But the next day, um, some of them had given me their business cards and some of them had taken mine. So I'm sitting and I, I have this sensation, this woman with red hair, you know? And it's like, oh yeah, that one, okay. And I just didn't think I was going through the cards. I was like, call her now. And I, I, I think I might've said that. I've only told that story one other time, but um, so I called up and her daughter answered the phone and said, hey, could I talk to your mom? Uh, okay, I'll go get her. The girl comes back and says, my mom says um, she's busy right now. I said, okay, I'll call back later. I hung up and this inner, you know, the voice is usually pretty quiet, but this was not quiet. This was call her again. Don't hang up until she comes to the phone. That's kind of weird. Daughter said, hey, this is the lady that just called. Tell your mom I'll wait on the phone until she talks to me. And so she finally comes to the phone and I said, I don't know why I'm calling, but I had a very strong sense. I'm supposed to call you, what's going on? And she starts sobbing saying, oh my God, I was about to kill myself. I said, God, if anybody cares, show me. Yeah, that was the first, it was an equal opportunity. So then a guy calls me, not too much after, and he says, um, I'm calling you, I was at your speech, and I want to tell you where to find a body. I said, what? He said, yeah, yeah, I've got a shotgun here, I'm gonna end it. I told him, cause he was kind of a mountain man. I used a few four letter words to like, so he could hear me. Mm-hmm. You put that bleeping gun down, you get your ass in gear and you come out here and see me. And if you want to kill yourself after, well, that's on you. Mm-hmm. So this, this six foot two guy with the beard that kind of lives in the woods shows up. And uh, my daughter's in the other room, she's five playing. And he's like closed body position in a recliner, leaning back. Like there's no way that Fort Knox vault is gonna open. And my daughter shouts out, mommy, how do you spell fear? I said, honey, how do you spell ear? F. She said, oh, I got it, mom, F-E-A-R. She, she was at a good reading level even for a little kid. And so um, a couple minutes later, I said, oh, you're writing mommy a letter? She goes, no, I'm writing B-O-B a letter. I said, that's nice. She comes skipping from the other room into, she's drawing little girl, five-year-old things. And she says, dear Bob, when you have fear, sit and talk to it. Don't push it away. Love, mushy. So this mountain man guy is <laughs> out of the mouths of babes. She ran outside to play. She didn't even know what happened. So out of the mouths of babes come incredible wisdom. And when we take the information in, in a neutral way, kind of with equanimity, because he was going to do what he was going to do. And I was going to do what I was going to do to change his mind. But that's on him. Not my job to save anybody. It's my job to assist them in making informed decisions. So we spent two days. He left. He made up with his wife. 
he had come home early to surprise her. Oh, he surprised her when he went in the bedroom. I'll leave it at that. And rather than kill them, he decided he would kill himself. So they went on to reconcile. They had a kid. My house burned down. I have no idea who his name is, where he lives. But I do have that wonderful thing of out of the mouths of babes. So when we hear things that people would say to us that are maybe quiet, and they'll say, did you ever consider da-da-da? And he said, you just kind of, you dismiss them because they're quiet. When I did team trainings, there were exercises that I would do, and I would give them a, a thing called diminishing returns, and they would do this exercise, and there would always be the first person over and over again who would say, we could do da-da-da-da-da, and it's completely overridden by the person that's the leader, knows what to do. And in the end, when we debrief, and, and they didn't really get it you know, until the end, when I said, could you share what you shared at the beginning? And they got it. And so they could see that bravado and thinking you know everything means you know nothing. <laughs> if you say, wow, that's really good. And what I liked about what you just said is da 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 Then there's a, an energy bridge built between people. And I think the most important thing that I've done is gotten curious about what makes people tick what they mirror to me. If somebody upsets me, like I get busy. What a gift from my universe. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And just like I said to you, this, this sort of like difficult client, uh, you know, I, have, I rarely have a difficult client, but they're such a gift, you know, because they make you delve deeper. And um, I want you to repeat what you said. I'm not here to heal anyone. I'm here to help them make informed decisions what did you say say that yeah, again pretty much that yeah. so in other words if i were to quote save somebody right and i take on their karma because they still have to have the experience right then both of us suffer right i suffer and Ooh. they don't get better that's okay you got to repeat that one if i save someone and i take on their karma and they don't get the lesson then we both suffer Ooh, that's that's big. That's big, Lynn. That's, done that. that's big. So for those people who are helping others or who desire to help others that are listening to this, uh, yeah, the healer. There's so many healers out there that are trying to fix everybody uh, instead of informing them or educating them so that they can make educated decisions or that yes. they can see the blessing in the trauma rather than trying to fix the trauma like what's the gift in the trauma what are you learning about yourself yes. you know i do this with my and, and it's hardest with our family obviously look absolutely because people don't want that right they want that like i'm in pain i want you to take the pain away either the mental pain or the physical pain you gotta fix me so that i can be comfortable again and, um, you know, I don't do sympathy and my daughter hated it because she's like, I want you to cry with me and tell me how, you know, and agree with me with how terrible life is. And I'm like, I won't do that because life is not terrible. Life's a gift. And she's, she's nearly 30 now. So she's getting with the program when something, when she's in complaint and she's telling me the complaint and I say to her, what did you learn about yourself? She goes, wow, I learned this and I learned that and I learned that. And before she used to say, oh, F off, mum, and shut up and hang up on me. <laughs> There's hope. There's hope. Yeah, I know. The way that raised me was so negative. 
Mm-hmm. I call I used to call her Aunt Apple. I was I was taken from my mom when I was about six months old because of neglect and lived till I was five with my grandmother, grandfather, aunt and uncle. And um it was it was like so extraordinary because after they all passed away, Aunt Ethel's 86. And up until the end, she went swimming. And she mm-hmm. would always start with a litany of, oh, it's awful, my lumbago hurts. And I haven't had my hair done. You know, I've been able to go out and on and on and on. I say, F, what happened today that's nice? Oh, well, you know, my hairdresser is going to come over and do my hair tomorrow. Yeah. And, you know, I went to the chiropractor and, and my lumbago feels a little better. And so I wouldn't. I, and then when she got really negative, I said, gee, NF, I got to go now. I love you. And then it got to the point where my family members were saying, what did you do to Anne Ethel? What do you mean? Well, she's more positive. Right. I didn't tell her she was negative. I just kept bringing her attention back to what's good about life. Perfect. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this I is what, myself too. Yeah. This is what I hear from my, you know, tribe. Oh, but I can't be with my mother because she's so negative or I can't be with this person because they're always down all the time. They're always complaining. I can't be with my friends because they're complaining all the time. But it's like a perfect opportunity to be with people that are complaining all the time to learn how to shift people's focus. And as you shift theirs, you shift your own because we're in the complaint about them complaining, right? So we're complaining about them complaining. So rather than complain about them complaining, then it's like, I can't tell you how many times I've done that. It's like, you listen to people complain, you go, oh, wow, that's really fascinating. And isn't this wonderful? And they go, yeah, isn't it? And you just shift their focus. You just go. doesn't take much. It doesn't take take much. much. Repetition. Yeah. Like if, if I would, like if I would have told somebody, you know, there's something for you to learn about cancer, they tell me to bugger off. Yeah. And, and yet, the, depending on how you frame it, you know, it, it, it becomes a, a tool for their expansion. Right. You know, my husband was a cancer chaplain at UCLA and he was constantly helping people reframe things. Right. You know, like I can't get married because I'm dying. Really, your husband wants to, your your fiance wants to marry you. Why don't you get married? You know, and oftentimes I would do deathbed marriages with people. Beautiful. And uh, I want to share a funny story because it just makes me smile to this day. So I was a um, a board chair and and very active in domestic nonprofit art um, art organization, and so the founder got engaged, right? And so she got engaged to this guy. I didn't even know she was dating anybody. And um, she says, by the way, I'd like you to do our wedding. Really? Yeah, Jim's dying. And uh, his wife died of cancer. He took care of her for years. And now he has cancer and his kids don't want anything to do with him. So I'm going to marry him so I can get him life insurance or, or, you know, medical insurance. So when I showed up to do the wedding, the hospital bed is in their living room. And there's a, a stuffed frog sitting on the credenza next to the bed. And I walked in and inwardly the frog says, I want to be the best frog. So I went to her and I said, this is going to sound pretty strange, but does that stuffed frog have significance for you and Jim? Oh yes. We hold him whenever we're having deep conversations. So I said, well, it'd be, would it be okay if he could be the best frog? Oh, Jim would love that. So I did the wedding with the frog sitting on his chest, uh, you know, on his chest, she's holding the hand and, He's the best frog. 
and Jim lived another few months. He wanted her to publish his book of poetry, which he did. And that was the most loving act of service. That's you know, because so she wasn't into guys so much, but her heart was so big that she took on this man that she had randomly walked with on the beach. Wow. And that's a big heart. Can you imagine if the world was filled with big hearts and best frogs? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Can you imagine if the world was filled with open hearts and best frogs? <laughs> <laughs> well, the interesting thing about frogs in some of the Native American traditions is they heal themselves with the mud. Right. So they're healers. Oh, dear. It sounds like the dogs come in. <laughs> the dog wants to come in. The gods come in. <laughs> the god is wanting to come in, yes. He likes the, oh, he likes the frog story. <laughs> But it's interesting that we're even something as simple as a stuffed animal. Oh, absolutely. A smile on this man and, and his future bride for however long they were married. And there were only a few people, her parents, none of his family came and a few other friends. And there was such joy at the, the reveling in life and laughter. Yeah. And when I laugh at my trauma, I heal. Yes. Fascinating. Laughter is the best medicine, isn't it? Uh, But this speaks, this story speaks to what's the word telekinesis? What's the word telekinesis? You know, when when a psychic holds something and gets the information, they say, Can I have your piece of joy? Like the frog was holding that. What's exactly. it called? I don't Tele- know what the word is. Um, but the, the frog was holding that. They said, We hold that frog every time we have deeper, meaningful conversations. So that frog was holding that vibration holding that energy like holding that wisdom and uh yeah energy you know where we're placing energy be it good or bad it's like our body is holding it but our stuff is holding it too rooms in our homes cars like it holds the energy of our thoughts yeah i know because as i walk up the stairs and i think about my sore knees I know that the stairs hold my oh, sore knee complaint. So I'm like, I've got to change this. I'm going to run up these stairs. I'm going to run up these stairs. Yeah. Like wherever we are, what we think repetitively, it Absolutely. holds that energy. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, we make our neural pathways really big with negativity if we have trauma. Right. And every time we think about the trauma or stuff the trauma, we're turning it into a super highway. And the, 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 methyl, uh, the, the nerve sheath gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But when we choose to focus on something good, no matter how horrific it is, right. then we start to build a new neural pathway, a neural pathway. which becomes one of positivity and our yeah. inner wisdom, our inner, um, you know, whatever you want to call the spiritual being that breathes us gets to build its neural pathways. It's a lot easier to do the negative than the positive. But if you're, if I'm really grumpy, I'll stop and I'll say, what five things am I grateful for right now? I'll just look around the room or I'll take a few deep breaths. I'm going to, um, I'm going to disagree with that. What did you say? It's a lot easier to do the negative than the positive. Well, for our culture. Only if you're on the negative trajectory. I think it's actually easier to be positive than it is. It's actually harder to be negative. But we get into these. you're in it. 
But I'm talking you're about in it when you're in it. in it. Absolutely. When they're in the negativity, yeah. it's easier to complain about what's wrong. Yeah, because it's just it, a trajectory, a, a momentum. A exactly. It's a habitual negative pathway. pathway but when yeah. the pattern interrupt by going for the positive, then we build new neural pathways that positivity sure beats the alternative. Yeah. And yet yeah. people are seduced into it. You know, Lynn, it only takes... It only takes a couple of positive thoughts to shift the negative. It actually, because positivity is actually our natural state of mind, it doesn't take much work to shift. No, it it doesn't. It might seem impossible. Like I remember my husband did this to me when I was really angry with him once, my ex-husband, my second ex-husband, and I was having all these negative thoughts about him. And he said, think of something nice about me or say something positive about me. And in that moment, I couldn't find anything because I was so angry at him. And it seemed impossible in that moment, but that I thought, oh my God, he's throwing my own words back in my face. You know, I can do this. <laughs> That's the gift of those people. And, and I, I said, well, I'm glad you're driving it and not me because if I'm so angry, I'd probably crash the car, which was not a positive thought, but it was more positive than I hate you, you're an idiot. And, um, and, and then as I found the momentum in that thought, the next thought was like, yeah, I really like the way you drive the car. It's nice to be driven around. It's so nice to have someone to drive me around. I don't have to do all the driving. And then the next thought was like, oh, I'm so grateful. And the next thought was, oh, my God, I love you. So it only took a couple of thoughts. Snowballs. Yeah. If we we build the heavy ones, we push them uphill and they come down and smash us. And then if we build the positive ones, they get easier and easier and easier. It's so much easier when you commit yourself to keeping your eyes on the positive than habitually going to the negative because it it multiplies like rabbits. Right. And so does the positive. But first, instead of being aware that there's what I call barking dogs in our head. Barking dogs. The wolves. How the wolves. Howling yeah, wolves and barking dogs. Chihuahuas, German shepherds, depends on the day. The same erroneous message mm-hmm. that takes us out of our innate wisdom and takes us down this false path of looking good, having money, living from the outside in. And yet the best show in town is to live from the inside out because then the world's your oyster. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't need this stuff, but you can... You can manifest the stuff with your positive win 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 i have to win they have to win and the world has to win Mm. that's kind of like one of my operating principles and then i always add in better than i can imagine because i'm limited with my mind but the spirit oh my gosh the spirit is unlimited right so you have a free uh, thing on your website where people can download. Is that right? Something that they can download? Yes, and I, and I can actually text it to you if you want to add it. It's a Thinkific. It's a free seminar. I don't think it's on the website, but I'll send you an email with that. And it's All right, I'll put the link on my website. So uh, if people want the link, please go to my website which is always on the link for all the podcasts on all the platforms. Oh, that's awesome. And I'll put the link to that free download. So that has some tools on it's how. A course. To... It's a 10 minute course, 10, 10 sessions. Mm-hmm. And if they were, and, and it was, there was no preparation because a Greek videographer, I had married him to my friend's daughter. He wanted to interview me 
and he filmed my answers. That's how it happened. Right. And so it's, it's unscripted. The airplanes are flying over overhead, and I would just answer his questions. And then it's it's a a minute, two minutes of a little vignette, and then there's a page where there's maybe some questions or things you could do. There's a meditation or something like that. So that if you can get curious about each topic, just a little bit, even one listening will start to penetrate whatever negative is there. Mm -hmm. And over time, there's something in there called freeform writing, which is, oh my God, I've used it for 25 years. Mm -hmm. You write what you think and it cleans your unconscious without having to get sick or go crazy. Mm -hmm. So, and there's things like that. What I've noticed with this work, you know, having done it for years and watching people do it, is that listening to podcast shows and agreeing with what people say doesn't change your life you have to do the work like you could say you could say to people oh you have to meditate you have to meditate that'll change your life and they'll say do you meditate no 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 but I know it's good because people say it's good like until you do it it doesn't have an effect because it's just intellectual exercise it's just chewing over because so many people watch the shows and listen to the shows and they go I so agree with you I so agree with you but my life is a mess so you can agree with what people are saying but until you actually do this work like your freeform writing or meditation or talk to your pain or that self-inquiry until you do the self-inquiry nothing really shifts like understanding something and actually doing it is a really big difference big difference difference. And and everything that's in that course I have done right you know understanding the algorithms you don't have to re-traumatize yourself Mm. over I mean I've been doing this work 37 years mm. and I keep getting better and faster and I learn more just was it this morning yes I got up at four like at about three thirty, my husband and I woke up and we had this revelation and we we were really good at working with each other so we had the same issue with various shades and we cleared it in about 20 minutes and he called me today, you know, I sent him a text and said, I'd gotten in. He goes, oh my gosh, I told so-and-so not to visit tonight because I need to go to bed early. He never goes to bed early. <laughs> I'm going to be in bed by 9.30 tonight because he saw the wisdom of how he was being hoodwinked by the very subtleties of the barking dogs. You don't need to sleep. Sleep is a waste, you know? And, and actually sleep is one of the keys to having a brilliant, abundant life. That and smiling smiling is the greatest energy you can't smile and say i feel terrible (laughs) (laughs) and then the body language you know and it's like life is such a miracle karen life is a miracle and life is a gift and i think the takeaway from this amazing conversation is love your trauma it has much to teach you everything you're going through whether someone's suing you or hating you or Whatever is happening to you, your house is burning down, husbands are dying. You've been through all of it, haven't you, Lynn? Uh, there's, there's, there's much growth. There's so much growth. Yeah. But we first have to take responsibility that on some level of your being, not your conscious level of your being, you've created it. The ego seeks comfort. The soul seeks discomfort. <laughs> well, the soul seeks to know itself in all its myriad forms, you know, to me. Yeah. Because, you know, I was standing at the dock in cinema and uh, uh, where did I live? Marina Del Rey. And I had this revelation that the sun was hitting the water at a certain angle and there were strata. 
bright yellow, dark, all different and with great demarcations. I like to think of the human journey is we choose a strata. Mm -hmm. Like the soul that came in as a little my baby, they chose a strata to teach mm -hmm. compassion. Right. I, I came here to be a testimony that you can <laughs> take a licking and keep on getting up. You can but overcome I anything. I wanted yeah. wisdom. Mm -hmm. And my soul's been around the block many, many, many times. And this time for me is a compilation of all the loose ends that I could bring together to be of service on the planet. Absolutely. Not to fix anybody because we're not broken. Right. That's a barking dog concept. We are souls having human experiences, experiences. and the human experience is filled with mistakes. Mm. Miss dash takes, just like I used to live near Hollywood. What can I say? Mm. A miss dash take means film it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And for your listeners that haven't seen Groundhog Day, a great I know movie. I love that movie it's such a oh, great movie. don't drive angry I say to my daughter <laughs> when she's in trauma don't drive angry remember he's got the the little animal and he's like don't drive angry anyway I love that movie Liz it's been such a blessing and so beautiful to talk with you today oh, thank you likewise so oh, much for a, being on the show darling and thank you for letting me riff about the wildlife of Lynn the beloved from one dog to another. It's been really fun. <laughs> oh, isn't Dr. Lynn just wonderful? I loved talking with her. She's just an amazing soul, an amazing soul. She she didn't really go into how psychic she is. She's unbelievably psychic and tapped in, turned on, tuned into source energy and her guides and spirit and all that sort of stuff. But um, I think she doesn't really talk like that because she's not talking to people who are at that level of understanding she's usually talking with people that are in trauma because uh, she's been through so much trauma herself and uh, I love that she said when she's talking about her own trauma someone's hearing it and they're healing because they're hearing how she healed and so they're healing just listening to her story I thought that was really pertinent really important that as we share as we share our experiences how we can help others just by sharing who we are, what we've been through and how we've overcome our traumas. Learn to love the traumas in life. Learn to love the contrast. Yes, something that we really resist. We really try and set our lives up so that we live in a, you know, so we're comfortable so that we can have, you know, we want joy. We want happiness. We want, we want good things. We all want good things. And so we're constantly peddling on this treadmill to create good things in our life so we can be happy, not realizing it, it is those difficult times, those challenging circumstances that is where soul growth is. And uh, just like I said, the, the ego is seeking comfort. And the soul is seeking discomfort. The soul is seeking growth. And growth happens when we're in that discomfort. There's a great YouTube channel called Yes Theory. It's a, a whole bunch of young guys doing crazy, mad things. And they have this, they have this clothing uh, range called Seek Discomfort. I just love that. I, I don't think they understand how profound that is to actually seek to like deliberately seek discomfort because so often we're seeking 
comfort. Uh, I'm not going to do that because that's too uncomfortable. I'm not going to talk to that stranger. It's too hard. Um, I don't want to put myself in, in an uncomfortable situation, whether it's a physically uncomfortable situation or an emotional uncomfortable situation. But if we deliberately seek it and, and get outside our comfort zone and do things, um, yeah, we just, we grow and learn and, and see what we're made of. You know, I, I, I did a lot of personal growth workshops when I was young and you sort of the whole Anthony Robbins things and, and they get you to do uncomfortable things. There was one thing I did called the pole. They harness you up and then you've got to scamper up this pole, which is the size of a telegraph pole, gets thinner at the top which is like about 50 feet in the air and it's swaying <laughs> and you've got to scamper up this. I was young at the time. I don't think I could scamper up it anymore, but I felt like a, a rat on a drain pipe, you know, scampering up. And then you get to the top and you realize you look down <laughs> and you're like all this, and this thing is swaying and you think, how am I going to get on top of this thing anyway? And as you are inside this uncomfortable situation, uh, you know, when, I, when I got on the top of that pole, I was like, yes, I'm king of the world. I did it. You know, <laughs> the, the elation that you feel. And then you had to jump off it and catch a trapeze. <laughs> oh, my God. It's hilarious. But it was, oh, it was fascinating. There was a young man there. He was younger than me. And he was really like bravado. He's really handsome. And he sort of had his bare chest out. And he was all sort of chatting up the girls and really in his ego. And when he was on this pole, his knees were, he was shaking. He was, I'd never seen anyone shake like that before in fear. You know, we hear about when you're in fear, how you shake. And I had never actually witnessed it when, but when I saw this young man standing on the top of this pole, he, his knees were just shaking. He was just so scared. And I thought, ah, oh, interesting, isn't it? How, um, you know, we show this face to the world, but underneath there's a lot of fear. And, and then there was an older lady, she's probably my age, because this is a long time ago, who scampered up the pole. No fear, did it, no problems. Yeah. Anyway, seek discomfort. Love the contrast of this world. You'll love life more if, you're, if you don't try and protect yourself against it. If you stop resisting the um, traumas and the contrast that we experience here in third density, uh, if you say, bring it on. I was talking to a client the other day and I said, remember that scene in the Truman Show where he is trying to escape his cloistered sort of his controlled condition and he's on a boat and then God, who's the director of the show, who's up in the, in the sky, is saying to the controllers, turn up the wind, turn up the waves, you know, let's try and get him off the boat. We'll scare him off the boat. We'll, we'll make a storm. So he, he, he goes, because he had a fear of water, they, they had programmed this fear of water into him so he wouldn't escape. And there's this scene where Jim Carrey, who's playing the character, is screaming to God, bring it on. Is that all you've got? Bring it on. <laughs> and that it's like, I can take this. I've got this. I'm scared, but I've got this. Is that all you're going to give me? And I just love that scene in the Truman Show. Bring it on. I'm not scared. I'm not frightened to face my fears. I'm not frightened to face this world. Live fearlessly. Live fearlessly. Yes. So a wonderful conversation with the beautiful Dr. Lynn. Uh, she's got many more stories. She told me a fascinating story afterwards, actually, about, about the finders and the seekers. And I was saying to her that the people 
that are watching this show are the finders, whereas a lot of people who are watching other shows or listening to other shows are the seekers. So they're the seekers and then they're the finders. She told me a wonderful story about that. And I said, oh, I wish you'd shared that on the show. She said, no, that story was just for you and I. (laughs) So she's an amazing, amazing woman. I would uh, definitely work with her if you can download her free course she's got a lot to share all right i'm going to go and have some breakfast and uh, get on with the rest of my day thanks again for listening and watching and subscribing and liking the shows and leave your comments i love hearing from you as you know and uh yes who's coming into the inner sanctum i don't remember i'll have to have a look i'll tell you next time and remember to buy the book awakened by death i'll see you next time bye for now